0: Hi, my name's Lou, and today I'm going to be reading from the internet for you. Why? Well, why not? And today's what is going to be a bit of political delight from the hour.gop.com forums. And as you might guess, this is the forums of the grand old party the Republican Action Network, it says right on the website. And unlike most of the sites that I visit, I don't dissuade you from going to this site. Uh, It's a good place to learn about the opinions of the GOP. And if you go, you'll notice that uh, right there on the side margins, it's just the model of inclusion. There's a, a white lady. Perhaps she's Latino. Or Latina, if you want to be proper. There's a black gentleman. There's a chubby white lady. A preppy white guy. And then another white lady, and on the opposite side, also a white lady. So look at that. You've got women and men and at least one ethnic person in the mix, right Right there on the front page of the GOP forums. Anyway, we're going to jump right on in to the our.gop.com forum by reading from a thread by John McGurley in a thread he entitled, Ceding from the Union. I was wondering if anyone could help me on this subject. What would it take for a state to secede from the Union? I know with joining the union, you need to have three-fifths of the states to ratify the Constitution, but cannot find what it takes to leave and form your own government, one that supports itself. I would keep the first ten amendments and a few others that are necessary like voting age women's rights. Let me know if you could, please. Dana Watts replies, there are no rules for secession. It's unconstitutional. And G replies, you're completely wrong. The Declaration of Independence itself is a secessionist document. The Constitution does not prohibit secession. Thus, it is protected under the Tenth Amendment. Read the first section of Chapter 3 in Dr. Thomas Wood's The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History. Here is a direct link to the chapter at Google Books. There's a link and some more YouTube links. Also, examine the state's sovereignty principles in the Kentucky Resolutions of 1798, written in large part by Thomas Jefferson and adopted by the Kentucky General Assembly. Abe Lincoln's invasion of the southern states during the Civil War was illegal. Lincoln trashed the Constitution more than any other president in U.S. history. Ed Moran replies, Yes, it's true. Abe Lincoln, Republican hero, trashed the Constitution more than any other president before him. However, I can think of one more recent Republican president who did more to trash our Constitution, and I bet you can too. And no, I don't mean Richard Nixon, although now that you mention it. If we're going to move forward as a party, one thing we need to get rid of is our blind faith in the competence of those we sent to Washington. If we don't learn from our history, we'll be doomed to repeat it, yeah? As for secession, I think it should be well within a state's rights to do so. I wish any state that wishes to secede the best of luck. They're going to need it when it comes time to raise an army, maintain highways, crack down on illegal immigration, and manage and pay for all the things that are currently handled by the federal government. Seriously, folks, are we so far out of the mainstream that a serious discussion about secession is what passes for internal discourse? Are we that far off track? Dana Watts replies to the people saying that she's wrong about the secession being unconstitutional. Replies, The Supreme Court of the United States would beg to differ. N.G. replies again, Who cares what the courts say? Are states' laws against abortion unconstitutional because of Roe v. Wade, even though the Constitution doesn't actually address the issue? If the Supreme Court ruled that rape was okay, and it is to be accepted throughout the entire United States, would you support that? According to your flawed argument, anything the Supreme Court says must be constitutional. That is false. The courts swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. They are not superior to it. When the courts rule against original intent, the courts are wrong and their rulings are void. One of the biggest nationalist untruths that people believe is the erroneous belief that the U.S. Supreme Court is the final arbiter of what is and isn't constitutional. See this article by Harvard-educated constitutional scholar Dr. Edwin Vieira. There's a URL. And here are some quotes from Thomas Jefferson on judicial review. More URLs. Ed Morin replies with a question. Isn't the idea that the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of what is and isn't constitutional actually enshrined in the Constitution? Dana Watts replies. Talk about a straw man. The SCOTUS has ruled that secession is unconstitutional. It does not matter one bit legally what you or I think. That's all it amounts to. I don't have to agree, but that's where it currently stands. So for a state to secede, they would be, according to the highest court in the land, violating the Constitution. Now you can post whatever links you like, but until the court changes its mind, it's irrelevant. And G replies, no, it most definitely is not. The Supreme Court is the Supreme Court, not the Supreme Government entity. The Constitution says that the Constitution itself is Supreme, not the courts. Whew! it's getting heated up in here. What I said is not a straw man. It is a logical conclusion that is derived from what you are saying. If you believe the Supreme Court rulings are the supreme law of the United States, then the Constitution is meaningless. Whatever the Supreme Court says must be legal, and the Supreme Court justice will be immune from accusations of ruling against the Constitution. Do you really believe this is the kind of system the Constitution establishes? The SCOTUS has ruled that secession is unconstitutional, and they are wrong. History backs me on this. The Supreme Court had no lawful authority to make such a ruling. Judges are not above the Constitution. Original intent clearly demonstrates that the states have a right to secede. The Supreme Court and probably not even a constitutional amendment can ever legitimately alter that fundamental construction that was an inherent part of the constitutional compact at ratification. And if the people of a state did decide to secede, a historically informed state legislature and governor would simply tell the Supreme Court that the ruling is based upon usurped power and it does not apply. Watch this clip of Georgia gubernatorial candidate Ray McBerry. There's another link. In it, he talks about the early U.S. Supreme Court case of, Ch- of Chisholm versus Georgia. What happened in that case is a man from a state other than Georgia sued the state of Georgia in the federal courts. The federal courts ordered Georgia to appear before them and defend themselves. Georgia claimed that as a sovereign state, it was not obligated to do so. The Supreme Court ruled against Georgia. Georgia sent notice to the federal government that any federal official coming to Georgia to enforce the Supreme Court's order would be hanged. Guess what happened? The 11th Amendment was ratified. The Supreme Court has no enforcement mechanism of its own. If the states call them on their unconstitutional ruling and simply refuse to obey, there is nothing the Supreme Court can do about it. (laughs) Dana Watts replies once again, Until the Supreme Court changes its views on secession, or that previous court decisions had no authority to rule on the matter, you are wrong. Have a good day. Ng G replies again, I hope you realize that telling someone they are wrong without answering their historical evidence in a logical manner is not a valid method of debate, nor does it mean that you walk away victorious. In fact, this reply of yours only serves to demonstrate that historical and constitutional evidence is clearly supportive of what I am saying, and you are apparently incapable of refuting it. Your faulty nationalistic views of the federal judiciary are one of the major reasons the federal government is so out of control. Frankie Nahim writes, This thread is hilarious. <laughs> ben Capraro writes, Aside from the musings of amateur scholars, what is the point of this thread? Do Republicans advocate secession from the Union when they disagree with the politics of their government? Is that patriotism? Right-minded Americans suffer through Bush's prosecution of an unjustified war. Despite their unhappiness with their government, did they call for secession? Some of the fringes, perhaps, but it certainly wasn't the position of the Democratic Party. Is secession how Republicans advocate responding to policies they disagree with? Is that an accurate measure of how much you truly love America? Or do they only love America that conforms exactly to their design? And Laurie McHugh writes, Bottom line, the North won because it had more money and guns than the South. No matter what the law says, it will either be ignored by the powerful or or they will just change them to their favor. We are headed for bondage. Secession is not a real option. As you might imagine, this thread goes on and on. YouTube link against argument, against YouTube link. It's fascinating. But let's move on, shall we? And the next thread I'll read is by forum user Akpulat Taha, who writes in a thread they had started entitled, Political Correctness is Fatal. Our hurtful tragedy at Fort Hood is to be turned into positive events to help heal these emotional wounds so many suffer, inflicted by deadly political correctness. 400 years of genocide against my peoples taught us many lessons. We took those lessons and rendered positive events from this horror of genocide. Those shameful historic events served to strengthen our resolve to survive, and we did. Today, America enjoys what is left of our American Indian culture. This is positive. 14 Americans died, and scores of Americans are wounded. Families are ripped apart for life. Injured loved ones will suffer for life. Our nation will never forget, and our nation will forever suffer, just as we will never forget the World Trade Center attack, just as we will always suffer and grieve because of that Islamic act of war, Islamic act of crimes against humanity. This Fort Hood tragedy is an attack upon our nation by deadly political correctness, acted out by a Muslim, by an Islamic terrorist. Past history of this Islamic terrorist, who went on an insane murderous rampage at Fort Hood, reflects all the danger signals All those red flags were ignored because of political correctness. His fellow practitioners witnessed and recognized clear danger signals, but remained silent because political correctness fear stuck duct tape over their mouths. Fellow soldiers, commanders, the chain of command, all witnessed and recognized, but were unable to speak. Political correctness silenced their voices with duct tape over their mouths. All who could have prevented this tragedy were silenced by political correctness, by fear of the M word. An Islamic terrorist killed and wounded Americans. An Islamic terrorist forever ripped apart the loving hearts of families and ripped our American heart out. A much more dangerous terrorist made this possible. Political correctness. America is scared to death, to utter the M-word for fear of political correctness. We are sacrificing our very lives with our blind obedience to political correctness. How extremely tragic an unborn child will never be born because of political correctness. Political correctness is killing us, is killing our American children. We are to never sacrifice another American child to this macabre altar of political correctness. This must stop. I am charging Americans, all peoples, with a responsibility to bring an end to this clear madness of political correctness. Michael Steele, Jan Larimer, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, all of you, all peoples are to speak truth are to break this grip political correctness has around our necks. You are to speak plain truth, even when truth is painful. Traditional American Indians are well known for being truth speakers. I am one. I find great pride in being truthful. I am raised to be a truth speaker. I honor my elders and my ancestors by my being truthful. Americans are to render this Fort Hood sadness into positive events by returning our American tradition of being truth speakers. We are to honor our fallen, our wounded, our families of Fort Hood through defeating this horrible albatross about our necks, political correctness. We are all to again to again be truth speakers, even when the truth is painful. Painful truth will never kill us political correctness is killing us. Political correctness is truly the worst and most formidable enemy our world faces. This must stop now, right now. This pandemic disease of political correctness is fatal. Akpulat Taha, Choctaw Nation, Puma Politics. Henry Mencken writes, Oh good, more lies. Hassan was investigated multiple times, and several people around him reported his disturbing behaviors. This was a failure of the system, not the result of people being too scared of social mores. Oh, look, evidence for my claims. Links, 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 links. People knew, people reported, but the system didn't act. You try, you fail, try again. Face Sydney replies, Henry, she's right again. You are pinning your evidence on this most recent case, and your evidence is encumbered by political correctness as well. Action wasn't taken because somewhere along the line of authority, political correctness stepped in and stopped it. I cannot prove it, but because it involves a thought process, neither can you. Political correctness started in the 60s, with first blacks. That is when we had to call people blacks, people who we had simply called people before. Later came women then Hispanics, Orientals, you name it. Political correctness made victims out of all the divisions in society, except the adult white male. It has been open season on the adult white male as political correctness does not pertain gradually all of these various victims gained power. They gained power by eliminating all that made them different from the adult white male. I was hired into a management position in the early 70s because I was and am still a woman, but a few years later was passed over by a Hispanic because there were none in management at that point. Neither of us were as qualified as some of the white males in line for the promotions, but they were denied the right to complain because that would necessarily mean that they thought they were more qualified than a woman or the Hispanic, and they were. A few years later, if a promotion went to a white male and not that Hispanic, the Hispanic could question that move with, why? Because I'm Hispanic? Something the white male could never do. And yes, I could have done the same, but I moved into a higher position that no man would take for any money. Muslims are free to do almost anything they want in this country because people are afraid to question based on political correctness. And that is why PC has to go for the security of this country. As Akpulat stated, we need to go back to stating the truth. Also, we need to be able to state a fact without being called racist or prejudiced. Akpulat Taha replies, Faye adds to interest, she is right again. No, this is not me. This is the truth being right again. I am the messenger. Truth is the message. Faye closes her good thoughts. We also need to be able to state a fact without being called racist or prejudiced. I take pride in being one of those banished from last year's Obama campaign website. So upset with my words out on the web, supporters and staff of Obama's campaign took to writing articles and comments specifically about me, addressed me by name. Their remarks were typically disparaging, often were simply personal level insults, Most most often used expression directed at me, racist. Rather stupid of them to label a red girl, an American Indian, a racist. My response was to register and become a member of the Obama campaign website. I wrote powerful articles, not supportive of Obama, in my usual style, which is well displayed here at our GOP website. Readers are aware I am careful to measure my words, am careful to choose my words for power, not for personal insults. Within a week, I am banished. Obama and his campaign people originated this labeling of opponents as racist. Obama played the race card on a regular basis during his campaign. Obama set an example for Americans. End result is all of us who opposed Obama, no matter how careful nor truthful our words, were instantly labeled racists. Obama played upon the fear of Americans being labeled racist. Obama engaged in clear deceit of the most abhorrent kind, labeling opponents as racist to silence their voices. Obama used political correctness fear to suppress and defeat our right of free speech. In time, this backfired on Obama. Today, when we are labeled racist for not supporting Obama, our typical response is, shove it, you jerk. This unethical tactic by Democrats for screaming racist over and over is proving to be their own downfall. Americans are fed up. This political tactic served to empower Americans served to have truth known. My expectation of this type of behavior by Obama and Democrats will begin to reappear during the 2010 election cycle and become rampant during the 2012 election cycle. Conservatives are to be prepared for this, are to be prepared for more childish and insulting behavior from Obama. Political correctness will once again be used as a weapon against truth-speaking Patriotic Americans. I am proud to have been banished from the Obama campaign website by racist Obama supporters. I am more proud to be consistently and patriotically politically incorrect. Bogdan Yevorenko replies All right, this is about Ford Hood. Lay off Obama. Agreed, if any red flags arise, people should call them out where they see them, no matter what race or religion. The fear that someone will mark you as a racist or a bigot is indeed large in this country, and we should move away from that. But this is by no means a Muslim thing. There are at least a few million Muslims in the US. For a couple of them to commit heinous crimes is a tragedy, of course, but we should be very careful not to smear the entire religion. Lord knows there are way more examples of fundamentalist Christian terrorism on our soil that doesn't draw the same level of attention. We should really tread carefully. Smearing innocent Muslims would be the most un-American thing we can do at this point. Mike Lattier replies, other than a few abortion doctors being shot, can you tell me what compares to the killing of over 3,000 people by Muslim fundamentalists? Where are the Southern Baptist terrorists? Where are the examples of fundamental Christians killing large numbers of people because their religion demands it? Comparable examples, please. No one is saying that all Muslims are terrorists. Of course, that's not true. By the same token, it's dangerous to ignore the potential for terrorism among Muslims based on political correctness. Where red flags are present, those should not be ignored or minimized because they involve Muslims. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, and and finally, I don't want to read any more of this crap, so uh, I will make this the last read. <clears throat> and and finally, in this thread, Okpula Taha replies. Bogdan Yevrenko writes: This is all about Fort Hood. Lay off Obama. Ford Hood is a tragic example of deadly political correctness. Obama is responsible for this tragedy. Obama is leading the charge of a political correctness assault. Obama has effectively declared war upon our Constitution, has declared war upon independent thinking. Obama is bringing to life an Orwellian newspeak. Upon taking the presidency, among the first acts of Obama is to impose political correctness. Obama changed War on Terror to Overseas Contingency Operations and changed our terrorist attack to man-caused disaster. Obama is forcing Americans to engage in deceit. I could write for hours providing examples of Obama changing our language to a politically correct language. This is censorship. This is to violate our First Amendment rights. There is a word which serves as an icon of Obama declaring war upon Americans. This word is Hussein, which as readers know is Obama's middle name. Last year, during campaigns, any person caught uttering or writing Hussein was instantly labeled a racist. Our mainstream media enforced this political correct rule. This word, Hussein, became taboo, became as vulgar as the worst of our racial expressions. This year, during Obama's World Apology Tour, the moment Obama set foot on many soil, suddenly his middle name becomes of great importance, and Hussein is slung about everywhere by Obama. His middle name is rendered a badge of honor— Least when dealing with Islam, Obama sent a message to Islam. I am a Muslim, to strengthen this message. Obama announces America is not a Christian nation. Rather, America is the largest Muslim nation. Americans are forbidden to use his middle name. Obama uses his middle name when it furthers his political agenda. This is clear and hard evidence. Obama is using political correctness to impose censorship upon America in violation of our Constitution. Obama is using political correctness as a weapon against America and as a weapon against our traditional American way of life. An obvious end result is a widespread fear to speak truthfully about anything M, the Muslim word. The Muslim word. This Fort Hood tragedy is to be laid at the feet of Obama. Ultimately, Obama is responsible for his use of political correctness as a weapon against America. Obama created these circumstances which led to Fort Hood. Obama is directly responsible. My topic is about deadly political correctness. Fort Hood and Obama serve as examples. (laughs) Oh, and finally, Henry Mencken writes, Obama, a man that has been in office for less than a year, is responsible for what you argue to be the result of too much political correctness letting in a man that's been in the army since about 1989 receive promotions throughout his career? It's Obama's fault for being in office for four months when Hassan was promoted? You're absolutely insane. I really wish the mods would do something about your hate-mongering. And finally, I appreciate that you stuck with me so far. This is all very boring. But finally... We'll end with the hodgepodge of ridiculous feelings. In the subforum Republican Issues, sub courts, in a thread entitled Marriage, Man-Man, Woman-Woman, Man-Woman by Aaron Dowdell. And Aaron writes, Where is the ability to regulate marriage in the Constitution? Why does the federal or even state governments care who gets married to who? Marriage has historically been a religious thing. Whether Muslim, Christian, pagan, Hindu, or whatever, marriage has been a religious covenant, promise, whatever. Why doesn't government take all restrictions, tax breaks, and whatever other methods of stupidity from marriage? If one church or another wants to recognize a marriage, so be it. If there is a need to decide who gets what stuff from a divorce, there could still be a prenuptial agreement, or whatever that would be, a legally binding document. So, what interest? do i as a human being have in whether the neighbors are common-law husband and wife or if they are married gay hindus no offense to any religion or sexual orientation intended in any way shape or form why does a majority feel the need to force a minority to do the same thing as them i see no need one way or the other to force the government to care about marriage Let private parties decide what is best for themselves. There are other ways to promote quote-unquote family values that doesn't include forcing a person to conform to society. John Spurgeon replies, And I agree. Why did we give them the authority to make decisions like this? And now I'm going to go on a rant about it. This is why legislating morality is so gay. I had to throw that in there since we are on the topic. It opens up the Pandora's box to the Gov getting into every crevice of our lives. Maybe not this issue, but at some point you will come across a Gov regulation that prevents you from doing something you might want to do that won't hurt anybody else. Not only why does the Gov care, but why do we even care, really? Less than 5% of the population is gay. Due to social circles, as a very high estimate, people interact with maybe half, and even if someone is out of the closet, you probably only recognize half of that. Yet we debate it endlessly. It's like looking at a budget and focusing 40% of your time on something that will only affect 1% of the total. It's a divisive issue, and when you win, who cares? People are the same. Some are just now resentful because they can't do what they want. I don't get it. You can't force someone to believe something through legislation. In my opinion, it's a waste of time to try through legislation. If it's an issue that is important to you, you should be able to realize that legislating isn't going to be effective. Every attempt to force straightness on people clearly hasn't worked. The only way you could get gay forced on you is if gay crosses with the swine flu, becomes viral, and the majority of people catch it. From what I understand, gay is not currently contagious. Then they pass legislation stating only gay marriage is acceptable. Then we might realize that the problem isn't the issue. The problem is how we address the issue. We shouldn't ask, is gay marriage okay? We should ask, why does the gov dictate what types of marriage are okay or not? When did we decide that the state needs to acknowledge the validity of a relationship? If we didn't give them that power, there would be no reason to fear it. If the government didn't dabble in morality, if morality was left up to the individual, then everyone would pretty much live the same lives. The only difference is you wouldn't have to get acceptance from the Gov or continue to battle over what is stated as okay. It's this forced acceptance policies that lead to things like the Crusades. Is anyone going to argue that this is a good or effective tactic? History shows that we aren't going to change people's minds through the force. If the Gov was out, you could tell your kids, Gov bureaucracy didn't tell us what is right and wrong. The family, church, or whatever you want does. Now that we put the power in the hands of the gov, everyone needs to continually battle over moral issues so that we can feel okay living the lifestyle we want. The United States was set up as a republic to protect the rights of the minorities so that all men, even the ones light and the loafers, could live free. So that 51% of the population can't tell 49% of the population what to do. Why don't we embrace the freedom that offers to everyone? I'm sure you would embrace it if you were the ones being oppressed. I understand that many people don't believe it is an acceptable lifestyle, but we have to realize that some do. And like it or not, we have to share our existence with them. And then it goes back and forth and back and forth. And then Nathan at BJU gets involved. And he states, Marriage is not debatable. One man plus one woman forever. This is one of those absolute truths that is unchangeable. And for those of you who say, quote unquote, there are no absolutes, that is an absolute statement. Then he has a link that I will say, which is citizenlink.org slash F-O-S-I slash homosexuality, which is an unfortunate, crazy religious link. Anyway, Joe, I take exception with the Quote, this is why legislating morality is gay line. Morality can and must be legislated. Think about this for a minute. Here's an example of a law legislating morality. Murder is against the law. Why? Because murder is wrong. Why is murder wrong? Because it is immoral. Why is it immoral? It just is there are absolute standards of right and wrong. The main purpose of the government is to legislate morality. If there were no law against murder and therefore no punishment, don't you think many more people would be murdered? Most laws legislate morality and most are necessary. If there were no laws against child porn, bestiality, and other such vices, don't you think they would be far more widespread? We must legislate morality. So abolish all laws related to morality and you abolish a nation. And Henry, who had replied earlier, Why don't you go join the Dems? They think gay marriage is fine. If the Republican Party changes position on marriage, they lose my support and the support of an unfathomable number of other people. Marriage is a fundamental institution that cannot be redefined without diverse effects on society. Mitchell replies, I am O. In my opinion, those are for survival and status slash comfort, the stealing and murdering, not the morality. We agree to not murder for own survival. We agree not to steal for own survival and security slash status slash comfort, not morality. We cannot legislate morality. As good as it sounds, it only brings misery. Roads paved with good intentions. Tradition should not be blindly embraced, nor discarded, but understood. And legal doesn't mean moral or correct. I always think about what if things like this were done to me? In Allah, we trust on the money. And in the pledge, you must marry someone of the same sex. You will be forced to have your rapist's baby, even if it kills you. Many different things. I don't want the centralized government to have that power either way, even if it is something I agree with. Most of the quote-unquote moral arguments I see are really survival-slash-status arguments. And Garrett Holm replies to that, Most of the moral arguments I see are survival-slash-status arguments. That is one of the saddest statements I have ever heard. You just essentially took man down to the level of animals by stating that our laws are for the purpose of survival. That position, for all practical purposes, ignores the fact that men have souls. To me, life is not about survival or status. To me, life is about what is right and what is wrong. Nathan at BJU replies again, Those survival arguments come from an evolutionary worldview where man is no more than an animal, or maybe sophisticated pond scum. If that man is a result of impersonal process plus time plus chance, what can then be said about his intrinsic worth? Oh, good. And Mitchell replies again, Correct. It really depends on the audience which arguments need to be made. I tend to debate politics with atheists quite a bit. One reason I'd like to have a closed Republican forum or quote-unquote verified Republican icon so I know who I'm talking to and can find common ground in discussion. At any rate, I am a Christian who believes in a soul. Just because I try to argue every angle doesn't mean I don't have my own very strong opinions and beliefs. But I see there's no refutation, just statements. I do not want a eugenicist's morality imposed upon me. How's this? Legislating morality is immoral. It's like forcing someone to be charitable. Well, worse. Bogdan Yavrenko replies, Now you're just mocking your own argument. Unless you're actually okay with the government infringing on our rights, any law that passes is what's quote-unquote right. Not following what the law says means you're wrong. Hello, Nazis. And Nathan at BJU replies, Bogdan, you can't possibly be a Republican. You must really be Barney Frank, posting under a different name. And finally, Henry Mencken replies to Nathan at BJU, who had earlier suggested that he join the Democrats, with this statement. I am a Democrat. If you prefer to be insulated against opposing views, I suggest that you get off the internet because you're going to find nothing but opposing views discussing topical matters on a forum designed specifically for that. And can you show me how Mass, Vermont, Iowa, and other states have suffered so much because of allowing same-sex marriage? Or are you one of those Fred Phelps types that insist that suffering comes in the form of holy retribution and thus can't be pinned down exactly? Men are animals. We don't have souls. Our laws are practical, not moral. Otherwise, adultery and blaspheming would be illegal, wouldn't they? Your rights end where my nose begins, as it were, and every man is essentially free until their actions directly or indirectly harm another man. That's the most simplistic breakdown of our legal reasoning for the past 200 years. And certainly there are laws that, at least on the surface, don't appear to fit with that. But we do not legislate morality in this country. They legislate morality in Afghanistan and Iran because those countries are basically theocracies. Now, you red meat-eating, right-wing good old boys don't want to be like those countries. Do you? Well, that was enlightening, wasn't it? Who thought politics could be so boring? Well, I think we all know that politics is very boring. And you should really never discuss it with people unless you are sure 100% that they are on your side. Thanks for listening to uh, me read this nonsense to you. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it because it was not fun to edit. I fell asleep editing it many times. Now, I'm sure that you're aware that the holidays are coming up. It's almost Thanksgiving and Christmas is right around the corner. Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or whatever you like. Now, I'm going to throw something weird out there. And this is a a proposition I have for you, the Lou Reed's listener. The holidays are coming up and everyone wants something special. Under their tree. So if anybody out there who is listening to Lou Reads would like me to read something for them, something short, something that you could use as your answering machine message or uh, your ringtone, uh, I'll be happy to do it. If you want to give me a a PayPal donation of like five bucks for doing it, that's great. If not, that's also okay. It's just really to have fun here in the end of the year. Uh, So just imagine, if you will, your phone rings, and instead of the usual ring, it says... Hi, your phone is ringing. Hi, your phone is ringing. Wouldn't that be, that's actually kind of annoying. How about uh, something else like, um, your phone rings, instead of the usual boring answer. The phone rings and your friends hear this. Hi, my name's Lou and today I'm answering Jerry's phone. Jerry can't come to the phone right now, but if you leave your name and number, he'll get back to you as soon as he can unless he doesn't like you, which is highly possible. I mean, if you knew Jerry like I knew Jerry, you'd know that he's kind of a douchebag. All right, this has been Lou answering Jerry's phone. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. So that's my proposition to you. Let me record something stupid for you, and we'll have that bond between us forever. So if you want me to read something for you, just drop me a line at loureads at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-R-E-A-D-S at the gmails so yeah just uh, send me a gmail and uh tell me what you would like me to say and whatnot and how you would like me to deliver it um i'm not gonna be making too many long distance phone calls so hopefully you can uh accept an mp3 file or what have you and uh we can go from there the first say 10 people who email me requests for that kind of thing, we'll, we'll have them done. And I will also post them here so everyone can hear what I have done, unless it's something private like uh, your social security number, which I don't know why you would have me read. But, you know, hey, I'm not going to say no. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Lou Reads. Next week's, story, next week's Lou Reads will be people's almost busted stories, stories about people who were caught with marijuana but got away. Most of the time. All right, this has been Lou for Lou Reads. I'll see you again on the Internet. Bye-bye. Oh, and make sure to vote on the iTunes. Always vote on iTunes. Why wouldn't you? It's there for the voting. And uh, sign up for the Facebook group. Just search for Lou Reads or go to loureads.com. And uh, there's a button right there. Okay, I'll see you soon. Happy Thanksgiving.